You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Drinking with Authors, the podcast. I am your host, Erica Lance. My co-host with me today is the amazing and very teal-colored Bo Lake. <laughs> hey, I love it. Um, don't forget to like and subscribe. We That helps us know you're listening and we just do it. It's in your hands right now. So it could happen. Okay. And our guest today is the amazing, I actually meant Dragon Con, Austin Camacho. Woo! Okay. Let's talk about what we're drinking first, because it is midday, so it should be appropriate. So uh, you can kind of see this on the YouTube. I have Limeade, and I was in Tennessee for a wedding, and I got Tennessee um, Moonshine Company has moonshine cherries. So now Mm -hmm. I'm into making cherry Limeade, but with moonshine cherries. I may have had a few of these cherries before we started this podcast. That may have happened. Needless (laughs) to say. It's very, very good. Okay. I also have um, some ridiculous LaCroix, but anyway. Um, Bo, what are you drinking, my friend? As usual, I am drinking a Blue Moon because it is my favorite. I like it. And the label matches your hair today. <laughs> I know. Like I did it on purpose. I would oh, get yeah. paid for the product placement. <laughs> you know I what? Wish. I wish some of these people would pay us for product <laughs> placement. We do a lot of product stuff. Yeah. Call me, me, Blue Moon. Call me. Yes, call us. Hashtag sponsor us. <laughs> okay. Austin, what are you drinking with us today? Well, as it happens, I have a good friend in Ohio where they sell Everclear, which we are not allowed to have in, in Maryland. And he makes apple pie, which is what this is. Ooh. And uh, it's it's very sweet. It's very tasty. And you have to be very careful. So by the time we get to the third segment, if if you guys want to take a break and come back tomorrow or something. We've... <laughs> so... No, that's why we do it as the third segment. That's why we do it that way. Okay. Hashtag proper planning. Okay. Um, so Austin, for those out there in the world that are listening that maybe do not, or watching, they could be watching us, I forgot, on YouTube. Hi, YouTube, the man. Um, what do you write? I write uh, mysteries and I write uh, action thrillers. Uh, the mysteries feature a an uh, African-American protagonist named Hannibal Jones who works in Washington, D.C. And the thrillers are about uh, Morgan Stark and uh, Felicity O'Brien, who are uh, a mercenary soldier and a jewel thief who have quit their lives of crime and formed a personal security company. So you can get into all kinds of trouble. (laughs) I like it. Gosh, that sounds like a TV show. Doesn't that sound like a TV show? It does. Ah, thanks for your words. Yeah. Someone someone call Netflix because I want to see that. Exactly. I was going to say, or any of the streaming services. I have many. We'll take it Ooh, on any. H- not, HBO would be good. Not Paramount Plus. That's the only one I don't want it on. I'm oh, good okay. everywhere else. Okay. Paramount <laughs> Plus? No, no. But there are many to choose from. 
Well, okay. So Austin, when did you begin your writing journey? Like, where did this all start? Well, um, been a, a, a rabid mystery reader all my life and thriller fan all my life. And uh, back in the day when I was in the army, uh, I just thought, geez, I'd, I'd like to try this. I wonder if, if it's possible. And I had that in the back of my head for several years. Uh, there was this particular day when I was reading a mystery novel and I was like a third of the way through it. And I knew everything that was going to happen after that. Oh. And I said, well, hell, I can do better than that. And sadly, my wife at the time heard me. And we had one of those, you know, oh, no, you couldn't. Oh, yeah, I could. No, you, oh, yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> that resulted in me actually deciding, okay, let's put my money where my mouth is. And uh, that's when I wrote uh, my first novel, which was The Troubleshooter. Um, set in Washington, D.C., which is, we live in a suburb. And, uh, and I, uh, I, I discovered that I really love that process and it's great fun. So I, I kept on, kept on. Very cool. I see now I have a dog breaking <laughs> What are you coming in? Are you coming in or are you staying out? You're kind of oh, not open enough for you? <laughs> I love him so much. You see how he just pat like, okay, yeah. thank you for interrupting the podcast. That's okay. We're going to continue yeah, the, on. Yeah, that look on his face like, is it okay? Can, yeah. Can no, he was like, is it fine? Is it fine? I'm just going to, because I heard it and I was like, is that the cat trying to break in? Because he's supposed to be upstairs with his dad, but no. <laughs> okay. That's fine. Hello, technology. Okay. Well, that's amazing. So um, what your first book was titled? The Troubleshooter. The Troubleshooter. And when did that come out? I initially? In uh, 1999, I self-published it. And uh, then, uh, you know, I wanted to see, would anybody else actually want to read this? And I got two or three bites, so I did it again. And after I had three books, uh, a small press picked me up, and I've been, uh, been running ever since. Very cool. Who's the small press that picked you up? Um. I'd, I'd rather not say. Oh, <laughs> I we, thought that we, was positive. Never mind. We, we can let we, it go. We we came we came to a a, a disagreement, uh, mostly about uh, the commitment to promote. So I went back and was self publishing again, and then uh, I and two friends who aren't too bright formed Intrigue Publishing, which is who publishes me now. It was along with about a dozen other authors. That's very cool. So I love that. It's, you know, part of, we have a small press as well, or mm -hmm. actually I think technically it's considered medium size now because we have over a hundred authors. So, um, okay. but I think medium. it's fantastic when um, you do that because this is not an easy world to be in. Right. And you, you mentioned the marketing component. I know quite a few people that, um, you know, to, to do self-publishing now or any kind of, you do have to do marketing. Like it doesn't yes. matter. You have to decide your commitment to it because it takes 
a bunch to be successful. Uh, we yeah. all hope, knock on wood, that we get a bestseller that everybody loves. And by bestseller, I mean sells a lot, not on a list that says it's a bestseller. I want it right. to actually generate profit. That's yes. a bestseller to me. That's the tag. Like, I am making money off my book. That's a bestseller to me. We should change the lingo. So it's not like New York Times bestseller. It's, hi, I've actually been paid for my paid, book bestseller. Go paid team. the rent bestseller. That's what yeah. I'm really looking for. Uh, I, I often tell uh, authors when they, when they uh, pitch to us that they, they need to understand that what, what we really are is venture capitalists. We're investing okay. in your thing with the hopes that this is the one that will make us enough money to support the last nine guys. <laughs> you know, exactly. Who, exactly. Who, each, who each sold 400 copies and they're all happy and they're not doing anything anymore. So I, yeah. <laughs> no, totally, totally. Yes. Agree a thousand percent. That's what I tell my authors too, is like, if we don't get you successful, we're not going to be successful. So exactly. you cannot sit on your laurels. And I looked that up. So I know what that means. You cannot <laughs> sit on your laurels and hope that somebody will actually just come along and throw money at you for writing. It doesn't yes. work that way. Yeah. So let's talk about, so how many books total do you have out now? Me? You. I, I have uh, a dozen novels in print. Uh, and one sitting with an agent and um, one in process. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Are out there. Seven of them are the Hannibal Jones series and five of the Stark and O'Brien. Very cool. That, that's actually a huge accomplishment, though, well, I, to have uh, that many books out. It's I, I, close to one a year, sort of, kind of. Uh, but uh, in the middle of writing a novel, I always start getting ideas for another book. So it, there's never a not writing. There's, there's never a time when I'm, you know, just like staring into space or watching TV. Every day I, I add a few pages to my opus. No, I think that's fantastic. And I know very few writers. There's a few and I call them, um, Jeff Strand happens to be one of them because, and I coined this term because he's a friend of mine. I love him to death. He's a horror, humorous horror writer. I don't know if you've met him, but he's adorable. But okay. he, um, I don't know if he'll be happy. I just call him adorable, but Jeff, <laughs> deal with it. Um, is he is what I call a method writer because he sits down, has an idea, has a plot, like he, and it's not like he does a whole bunch of, laying it out exactly he knows the beats he wants it to have he knows where it's going but he just sits down and writes his characters don't take the book away from him his he doesn't it's not that he didn't have other ideas but he just does that and he gets the hmm. book done which to his credit he's you know 40 books deep or something like that wow. now yeah and i think you know it's interesting i just literally today this episode is going to air later there was uh a thing that came out from written word media about what it takes to be successful, right? And it talks about how many books and it literally says stage one is five books published. Stage one, okay. five books. You know, stage two, 10 books published, right? Stage three, 23 books published. And it goes up to 50. 
So it talks about being successful and it literally says um, stage one, five books published, average income, zero to $250 a month. So it's about putting out content, not so much just yeah. like being active on social media or doing all these other things. You're not successful unless you have five the, books out the, or yeah. more. Yeah. The, the guys I have seen and gals, I, I use that term generically, guys, the writers I have seen who are really making it are fast. And in, in, in my sense, fast means you can drop two or three novels every year consistently. Uh, I'm not that guy. I wish I was. But if you can get that next book out before news of the old one is cold, that, that appears to be the trick. <laughs> No, it's it's true, and I think that um, you it's it's so interesting. We get so divergent on these shows, but <laughs> I I think it's true because it's it's the point that writing and writing successfully and understanding where you're going to make money, and that's not saying every single person falls into that bucket. It's saying there is an average, there is a thing. You have to hit a number right. of readers. You have to do that. But if you think about, you hit a number of readers. You do one book a year. Your readers are all going to click buy on that one book a year, and then there's nothing. So you have to find new readers to buy that book and your back catalog of books. And, yeah. you know, you have to create a momentum. And if it's only one book, you're going to get readers once. They're not going to buy the book 10 times. Maybe if they're giving it to friends, but in general, no. no you know? You're, right. yeah. you're so. exactly right. So mystery, thriller, are those the main genres you write in? Do you write anything else? Um, I don't really. Um, it's not I bad. Think, I'm just asking. <laughs> I think yeah, uh, I know some people that write all over the map, but I don't read all over the map. <laughs> so I write what I what I enjoy reading. I don't really get a kick out of reading science fiction or fantasy or or horror those kinds of things. I have some good friends that write that stuff, but it's it's just not it's just not. For me, I imagine if I had to, I could. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's 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 just not what I do. I I there's two kinds of fun for me in this. One is building the puzzle. You know, here's here's who did it, here's how we find out, and and building that that trail that the reader has to follow to get to hopefully to get to figuring it out just before I tell them. Right. So the fun of yeah. building the puzzle. And, and the other thing, the thrillers, I, I guess that's what you'd call them. Um, I enjoy, uh, I, guess, I guess I would coin a subgenre myself. I really like writing, how the hell are you gonna get out of this books? Right, <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, dig a hole as deep as I can and drop my heroes into it. And then I go, hey, wait a minute. How am I going <laughs> to... I love that. I write horror thriller too. Mm -hmm. And it's it's very interesting. Like I feel like almost... Thriller is almost like mystery, but like 10 times more tension, I think. Like that's... Okay. That's, you know, okay. you look at a cozy mystery and it's, it's, you know, intertwined, but thriller, you've got to, you've got the stakes are so high to get out of this right. situation. Right. And, and you, 
you get the chance, and I'm sure as, a, as an author, you can relate to this. You get the chance to just keep making it harder. <laughs> you, you just keep turning it up. You know? I love I love all of that because it's true. It's yeah. a 1000% true. Oh my goodness. Okay. Bo, do you have questions? I know you always have I, questions. You I know, I always have questions. I always have a whole list. Um, I'm going to let you go before I normally wait till the second part. And then I'm like, Bo, just keep talking. So what do you talk about dropping your characters in a hole and having them scrabble out of it? How do you outline that? Because I find that my characters will get stuck somewhere and then I'm stuck. Ah, okay. Well, I do work to an outline. I am not a pantser in any way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think up this bizarre, absurd situation. And then this is an outline stage before I start writing, I have to figure out, well, how do you get out of that? And usually what happens is, oh, well, you can get out of that this way. That's too easy. Uh, <laughs> so so what, what, what it amounts to is three or four things that are obvious to try that don't work. And then they hit upon whatever it is. And because one of my characters is is a military has a military background mm -hmm. the other one is a is a is a thief a jewel thief so i have all of these different skills and toys i can play with mm -hmm. <laughs> to try to you know to try to make it work uh, in um in the first book while when they're cornered by the the giant guy who's going to kill them um and they have no weapons because that that would be too easy. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're surrounded by bad guys because running away would be too easy. And I said, well, okay, then now what? Uh, okay, they're in the bad guys study. Uh, okay, let's postulate that he has liquor in there. Let's hit this guy over the head with a bottle hard enough for it to break. But that's oh, wow. too easy. He's real strong. So he's not knocked out. So now what? Oh, um, let's have her grab that lighter off the table and light him up. <laughs> wow. So, woof. And of course he goes crazy and turns around and ends up grabbing the big bad guy and they fall out a window and it's, it's, it's a whole thing. But the, <laughs> the point is that if you keep making it harder as a reader, I like to get to that point where I can't see how they can possibly survive this. So I try to write the reader into that position, but then I don't know how, I always, I always think of some way to get them out of it. Hopefully, and it, it would work that way in real life if I'm stuck in a you know, burning building or bomb shelter or something, I don't know. <laughs> burning building, like bomb answer. shelter, just <laughs> anywhere. If I'm, if I'm trapped in a cave, and there's nobody in there except werewolves and vampires, hopefully uh, something would come to me. <laughs> I, well, you I seem like very it. good at problem solving, so you might be able to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> but problem making too, so. I, <laughs> I love what it, let's talk, oh, go ahead, go ahead. What, what does your typical writing day look like? Oh, well, um, now that I am, retired from real world income. I, I get up in the morning, 
generally speaking, make coffee, feed cats, uh, help my wife assemble a, a lunch and push her out the door. Uh, I watch maybe an hour of the morning news because I like to be plugged into what's going on in the world. Mm -hmm. And aside from that, it's, it's a rich source of story ideas. <laughs> <laughs> and then, okay, it's seven-ish. And I sit down and I uh, bang the keys for a couple hours. And then I uh, stop and do other things. Uh, I do the Facebook thing. I do some marketing stuff because that's, you got to do that every day. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then I lunch and then I sit down and I uh, might put in another hour or two, depending on where I am in the process. For me, uh, some of that time, it might simply be like where I am right now. It might simply be sit down and hit keys right. and, you know, have the objective of, okay, let's see if I can't find a thousand good words today. But sometimes it's kind of stare into space time and jot on a notepad uh, what will eventually evolve into my outline. Mm -hmm. uh, my, my outlining process is iterative. So I make a short outline and then it just keeps getting longer and longer as I add things happening and incidents. It's, it's mm -hmm. just the plot when I'm outlining. Um, and sometimes that's, I, I could spend a month outlining, but then I can sit down and just write. And that's the part that right. I really love. Mm -hmm. So you said you put out one book a year. How long does it take you to finish your first draft in general? I might go six, seven months on the first draft. Well, that's, that's including outline time. Okay. And then um, I'm, I'm in a very, very good critique group of, of uh, people who are better writers than I am, uh, which took me, that was a long time. I really hated being in a critique group three times in a row because I was the best writer in the room. So I wasn't getting anything out of it. I was just giving. But now I'm getting. But then I, I will do uh, a quick rewrite, mostly looking for stupid mistakes. Like, um, you know, they've been, they've been going for what would be 48 hours and no one has stopped to eat or anything. So I need to do, you know. And then I do a, a more laborious, slow rewrite where I'm paying real close attention to where the beats are and making sure that that the dialogue is different from one character to the next and all of that nitpicky stuff. Okay. And that, that takes a couple, three months. Um, so yeah, just about a year to, from beginning to end. That's, I mean, that's good. So you sound like you're a plotter, like yes. you squarely have to outline, you have to do all those things, all the ducks have to be in a row. Yes. Wow. Um, I don't literally inconceivable to me, <laughs> as they say in my favorite movie, inconceivable to me how people write mysteries without an outline, 
how in the world can you just sit down and start typing and be planning clues and know who the bad guy is and know who the secondary bad guy is and all it i don't get it i have to be able to see it step by step by step by step um it's, it's the only way i know i have a question and then we're going to cut to a break so you say that what if you don't mind me asking what did you do previously in life oh i was uh well <laughs> after my my uh brief experiment in the u.s army i was a public affairs officer for the Department of Defense. Uh, most of that time working for TRICARE, which is the military's healthcare system. So I was, uh, my profession was communicator. Well, Mostly that actually makes perfect sense why you would complex need to know that <laughs> Oh, you see the drift. Okay. I did. I was, that's why I was going back to it. I have an HR background. I was like, let me just, let me go back in time here. And go, because I think you find that to be the case with a lot of writers is that, you know, how they've been successful in whatever career choices, not the job mm -hmm. itself, it's the lens itself, doing anything regardless around things in the military and things in public relations and stuff like that. You have to be very, you cannot fly by the seat of your pants. Not that you don't have to jump and be able to react quickly, but as we all see with certain press releases or things posted that we were like, oh, you don't have a PR firm at all, do you, my little friend? <laughs> the, the most important thing I learned from that, almost like muscle memory, but the, the most important thing I learned was that I can't wait for some muse to come tap me on the shoulder with inspiration and say, go to the keyboard and create. I was in an environment where, write it now. Here's your deadline. Yeah. And so I'm geared to that. I sit down and it happens, which is why I also don't understand writer's block. That's a total, that's a concept I can't wrap my head around. You know, to me, writer's block, and I, you know, I might have get hate mail for saying this, and then we are absolutely taking a break, but <laughs> I don't think people actually legitimately get what, you know, writer's block. I think one of two things happens. Number one is they've walked themselves into some sort of corner and they need to go back whatever amount of steps. And I hate to say it, it could be a couple chapters and go left instead of right, because yeah. wherever they went to, they're not getting out of. So it's not really writer's box, it's not like, yeah, but you've backed yourself into a corner and we've That's all done this. We've yeah. all done this where like you're trying to get the story to go and then it just doesn't, right? Or you um, have other things impeding on your life. And you're, you know, like with me, I have friends that writing is a stress reliever to them. I hear that a lot of times. It's a stress reliever, it's a stress reliever. Mm -hmm. It is not a stress reliever to me. It's not stressful, but for me, I cannot have like raw happening in the background because I, uh. if I do, I can't, the way I think or overthink as my therapist might say, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, I do though. I will, I'm one of those people that has a hard time if there's a problem going on, going to sleep because I'll just be thinking about it the whole time. So because of that, 
I think that, you know, you have to be in whatever the correct headspace is because it's not writer's block. It's that your attention is somewhere else instead of on what you're actually doing. I get you. I get you. I think that uh, I am fortunate in that I am able to compartmentalize my head to the extent that I do. But I think most people can and choose not to. You know, uh, you, it's, it's pretty rare to hear a, a mom say, wow, I was so stressed out and distracted today that I just couldn't feed that baby. Or, you know, <laughs> I, I just couldn't make dinner. I, I just could, no, the things you gotta do, you do. Writing yeah. is one of the things I gotta do. And so when I sit down at the keyboard, all that other stuff gets turned off or gets put in a box. <laughs> no, nope, I, I think write, that's it's writing time. And then it's when, phenomenal. Writing, when it's over, it's you know, stress about the bills time. <laughs> I'm trying to get to that point where I can do it. It's I've got many exercises working on so that I'm not like trying to type something and then I'm like but the car and blah, blah, blah. And it's not the car I'm riding. It's like something about the car or the house or the dog or the whatever. So, oh my gosh, we need to take a quick break. break we time. will be right back with Drinking With Authors. Hey everyone, this is Carrie from the Metal Geeks Podcast. Thanks for geeking out with us for the past 10 years. Yes, I said that 10 years that we've been doing this, talking about video games and metal and TV and movies and comic books and scene parks and all that other cool stuff. Check us out on our website at metalgeeks.net and on all the socials at Metal Geeks. We are proud members of the ESO Network. Keep it geeky and keep it metal. Our sponsor today on Drinking with Authors is Skunk Brothers Spirits. Skunk Brothers Spirits was started by a family of disabled veterans focused on locally sourced quality distilled spirits. Their name was inspired by their pops, who was nicknamed Skunk. Skunk's father was a moonshiner in Oregon back when it wasn't exactly legal. Now the brothers are taking the family business legal with their Washington-based team using their grandfather's Prohibition-era moonshine recipe to bring small batch spirits to the gorge and beyond. From the moonshine corn whiskey to the apple pie brandy, all of their spirits are handmade in Washington. Believing they already have the best ingredients in the local community, they work with local farmers and suppliers to produce the highest quality spirits from scratch. You can find them on Facebook at Skunk Brothers and on Twitter at Skunk Bros Inc. Or visit their site www.skunkbrotherspirits.com and use coupon code DWA10 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. You can always also ask your local retailer to start stocking Skunk Brother Spirits. Regardless of how you get your hands on a bottle or two, grab a drink and don't forget to get skunked. Zoom, you weren't giving me the record button, we're back. Um, I was in a fight with it for a moment there. Okay. Let's talk about fan reaction because you wrote your first book. You said, I wrote it and I was like, you know, let's see if the three people that I think will read it are doing that. No, just kidding. Um, so how did that go to start? Like your first, because that sounds like that could have been the make or break point for you. It, it, it's funny because it, in a way it was, in a, in a very real sense, it was. If, I, if, if that first book and everybody had said, ah, that was a waste of my hours then I, I may not have consent continued. 
But because I was already a fan, I was going to conferences and so forth. And I was sticking my book into people's hands, whether they really wanted one or not. <laughs> and the, the phenomenon was that writers that I respected started emailing me saying, hey, this is really good stuff. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so uh, then I, I started trying to sell them online. This, this uh, kind of predates eBooks by just a little bit. So physical books are harder to sell. And then um, one day I walked into a bookstore and said, hey, can I sit here and sign my books? And luckily they said, hey, we can arrange that. In those days, Borders was everywhere. There were probably 20 Borders bookstores within 50 miles of my house. And for a couple of years, three years, for three years, I was in a Borders every weekend. Mm -hmm. And I would sit there and I would sign 15, 20 books in two or three hours. I was happy, they were happy because I brought people in the door and uh, life was good. And then Borders went away. <laughs> but it's that's true. how, that's how the momentum, that's how the rolling got going. Mm -hmm. I like it, I like it. Um, I think true though, there are a lot of independent bookstores now that authors can do that same thing of walk in and go, hey, I'd like to sign. I think authors have a fear of rejection and therefore don't reach out and go, I can go to the library, I can go to my local bookstores, even Barnes and Noble, you'll be amazed if you get a good um, uh, uh, manager there, it's totally fine, especially if you're willing to bring your books. You know, I have to you tell, where your, are you? Where, oh, I, where do we Oh, I'm in North Carolina. Okay. Uh, and I'm in I Virginia. Can, I can tell you that this is a very, regional thing uh here where i am there might be eight privately owned bookstores within 50 miles of my house oh. there might be eight uh and the barnes and nobles in this area have zero interest in local authors and i've talked to enough people to know that it's not just me <laughs> it's not they don't like yeah. me it's like, you know, uh, I don't know your name. You're not on a bestseller list. And I don't have time for you because, you know, we're Barnes and Noble and we make all our money selling coffee and, and uh, puzzles and greeting cards. And yeah, there's some books in here, but I don't know anything about them. Like, it's all about <laughs> Funko Pops in, in the Barnes yes. and Nobles. Well, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on a limb here and say, um, I actually think that is partially that Barnes and Noble, because I know just from our authors being at Barnes and Nobles mm -hmm. in other places, it's a lot on who you get is receptive to it, you know, because that's what happens is that it's who is receptive because the local managers, especially now that Barnes and Noble's contracts with like Macmillan and HarperCollins mm -hmm. are expiring and they're kind of like, screw you, we don't have to put the books you tell us to, we can find books. That's how you see it. Like Barnes and Nobles have book talk tables now. I don't know if yes. yours does, but all over the place they have book talk because they finally keyed into 
going back. Look at I'm going full circle, even with the cherries I've eaten. Um, <laughs> to what I said earlier about best selling and what are best sellers versus what we're being fed and told are the best sellers. Right. right. What what uh, the New York Times list in general, a big generalization here. Those books are best sellers before any reader buys them. Right. They're, they're oh, best yeah. sellers based on the number that Barnes and Noble has committed to. <laughs> that is my exact point. It's, I forget who put out a thing um, and I saw, and I really wish I had saved it because it, it's come up so full circle is um, that, oh my gosh, can you use all my words? The um, New York Times bestseller, less than 10% of them make any money off of their books. And that's pretty scary. And it's yeah. true with the USA Today bestsellers too. Less than a certain percent make any money off of their books. The difference between major publishers and I shouldn't say this out loud, but you know, <laughs> apple pie. The difference between major book publishers and guys like you and me is that those guys, the publisher makes all the money. Right. Yeah. For us, the authors get paid. <laughs> so true. So right? true. Your authors are going to make some money. Whether or not you make any money, on the other hand. Yeah. But no, yeah, but I hear what absolutely. you're saying about Barnes and Noble. Um, we have had much better luck with our authors who live distant. You know, we, we just call all the stores within 50 miles of the guy's house, and then we follow up with an email. And if, if the, the guys, the, the writers we have who are in Jersey, the writers we have who are in Philly, eight or 10 bookstores, sure, we'll have you in. We'll order your books. Here's the date. So it's, it's easier in some places than others. I'll just leave it right. at that. Yeah, no, I think that's very true. I, I do not disagree with what you're saying, but I think authors should give it a shot. They might find regionally it doesn't work, but it's kind of what is the the saying like you now I'm too drunk for the saying. But <laughs> well, I, I do agree like, with you that authors, every author should at least try. Yeah. And I have found that uh, if if your book has a hook outside of just plain being a mystery or just plain being a thriller, you shouldn't just try bookstores. I've had one author who does pretty well uh, signing in his local Hallmark store. Uh, I've got one lady who does really well in uh, beauty parlors. Oh, you know, wow. Any, anywhere they'll let you sit and talk to people, <laughs> you know, ask them. I so. agree 100%. And then cons and conventions and local markets That's and... There are so many places you could go, but you have to get out in front of people, hoping people are going to find you. No. The Absolutely. algorithms are not skewed in your direction at all, my friend. Correct. I, I, uh, I tell my authors when we, we have this long conversation right before we sign the contract, but one of the things I tell my authors is go into your local Barnes and Noble walk to the center of the store and do a slow 360. Now think about 
how many authors are in there and try to figure out how someone is going to find you in that mob. You know, because you, you got to have that perspective. There's an awful lot of product out there. Yeah. Yeah. And and there's an awful people can go on Amazon and and download on their ebook. Okay, here's ten novels for a dollar ninety nine. That's what you're competing with. <laughs> yeah. No, I I agree a hundred percent. I think that um, uh, it is there's a way to go about it, and you have to, and it's very different, and it changes every five minutes. What works with yes. book talk, like any of us on this this podcast if somebody said to us not that we're we're ancient but i definitely have sober hair um had said to me 10 years ago there's going to be this thing and people are going to talk about their books and little videos and everyone's going to buy them and i would have been like what you'd like, laugh no that's not a yeah. thing no no facebook no and <laughs> facebook's funny. going away and twitter yeah. is Dying. Whatever Twitter is, you know. Uh, Twitter, Twitter may not be dying, but but if it is, it's a self-inflicted wound. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, you know what's interesting is also how social media is for different genre types. Yes. Like romance uh, writers, absolutely Facebook, hands down. Romance, those kind of things. Facebook, mm -hmm. in a heartbeat. Not that you can't do other things, but man, if you get the little groups going and they can all yes. talk and like you know fantasy writers and you know stuff like that mm -hmm. yeah but you go horror you know um thriller that kind of thing twitter twitter sci-fi writers twitter yes. like yeah i don't know why that is but that's where the fan base is know. you know and then you have instagram a lot of people can be successful on instagram but you have to be kind of social to do that and you have to be willing to do funny things and the look on your face tells me you are not a huge fan of it well, <laughs> i don't i don't really understand instagram or tiktok because those are essentially visual media and i am essentially a word guy not a picture guy that's why facebook is so comfortable for me but i don't i can't make the connection in my head between doing a funny stunt and selling books. And well, if you're going to be on TikTok, you got to do a funny stunt. You do, <laughs> and you have to find something that gets people's attention, but it's how people see things now. It's kind of like even, you know, how many people actually legitimately read the paper anymore in right. paper format? Right. I'm not saying people don't, but reading the paper is now scrolling through the news that's presented to you. Yes. And, you know, it's so interesting because the news wasn't presented to you before. It was just the news that was in the paper and you read the news that was in the paper. You could yes. be in any sort of side of it. But depending on who you are, what the algorithms say, you know, all three of us could type in the same phrase and share the screen and we would have different things that were coming up on a news story. Yes. <laughs> well, we'd have different things coming up because the machine knows what I'm interested in. Yeah. It knows what so you like. Also, the machine knows what will get you riled up. That's well, what yes. the machine and to take yes. an action to do something, whether that's correct or not. You know, <laughs> which is one reason I'm always so reluctant to search for anything online because then I'm going to get all the ads from everybody well, else. It doesn't. 
you don't have to search. You just have to think about it these days. If you just yeah. think about it, you'll suddenly or talk about it. And then suddenly it'll be on your Facebook feed or something. What, what's worse is that anytime I buy something, which means I've already got it. Okay. I buy something <laughs> and then I get 500 ads from everybody else who sells something similar. And, and, and I look at those ads and I say, look, you missed the window. <laughs> it's over. No, because they're like, you need to buy this other thing then. And this other thing, this and competing I'll tell you, thing. It's, I, the amount of, you know, I joke, I joked a lot this weekend. We're at Galaxy Con. People were like, because our cash register had some blips, because it's Con Wi Fi, like, whatever. Yeah. And I was like, you know, people were yelling. I'm like, you be nice to our overlords there because, <laughs> you know, like they'll remember don't yell at the machines <laughs> somebody sent me a thing that said you can get a washing machine that will tell you all this stuff and even take a photograph of your laundry and send it to you and there's a live feed and i'm like how is any of that necessary yeah. <laughs> like seriously how is any bit of that necessary so I feel like I would love if my uh, walker sent me like a push notification when my laundry was done because I always forget about it and it's on a different floor of my house. Uh, see that I could see that, but it's really funny because I was thinking last night I was watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I really like that show. I started watching it when I was Galaxy Con and now I have to watch the whole thing all the way through. That That entire show, I was telling my boyfriend who did not watch it, previously and is now no longer watching it after watching a couple episodes he's like how can you watch this but regardless my guilty pleasure i said this entire series would have been dead if there was a cell phone this entire mm. thing they, they would have had to rewrite the entire thing oh. and he's like that's no and we're sitting there watching it and i go something would come up i'd go cell phone something will come <laughs> up cell phone something would come up cell phone and he's like oh my god because how many times they're going to go look for somebody? Like the whole yeah, show is going them. to look for people or angels trapped in a thing. Well, if he had a cell phone, he could call somebody and go, hey, I'm trapped in a thing. I'm trapped. Me Help me out. <laughs> yes. And there'd be an alarm set that said sunrise in 15 minutes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting that you raised that particular point because it's relevant to mystery writing as well it is much more challenging for me than it was for any of my heroes in the 40s and 50s specifically mm -hmm. because they had to go find a phone and it, it i don't have i don't have the luxury of very easily putting my hero in a place where he can't find out what this other guy's doing mm -hmm. or he can't find out where people are or how to get to somewhere because it's all it's it's all right here i yeah exactly exactly so i agree with you a hundred percent um and it is interesting when you're thinking about writing is how do you get it so they can be in some of those positions where there's a problem or there's no cell signal and even if you say there's no signal that has to be realistic to people because they're like yep there's signal there 
that but trust me there is a, a Lowe's store down the mountain from me. I'm on a mountain, by the way. And there is no cell signal in that Lowe's store. None. Wow. Nobody's cell phone works. It just happens to be a dead zone. They're like, well, you can use our free Wi-Fi. And I'm like, the hell I'm going to do that. <laughs> That's <But> not happening. <laughs> because what I write is not, generally speaking, forensically based. I mean, I write old style, you know, my hero finds out what happened mostly by talking to everybody and figuring out who's lying. Yeah. Um, but I have to sometimes finesse it so that it's reasonable for him to go and be face to face with that individual instead of just doing his entire job on the phone interviewing people, which I think would be boring to read. <laughs> um yeah you'd have to put a lot of work into that to make that uh something that people are like man this is a page turner wonder if he's gonna put him on hold <laughs> okay and i can tell well, well, i watch en i watch enough tv to be able to say this with authority after the second time somebody picks up their phone and says no signal i'm done it just doesn't happen that often to anybody through so yeah no i agree i agree yeah. um i actually you know it's interesting um i also see that when people write <laughs> younger people write for times in the past and i'm not talking about victorian times whatever i don't know what what kind of sugar cubes they had and i don't give a shit but when people write about like the 80s or the 90s and i'm mm -hmm. like we did not have these things that you are mentioning you know what i mean it's in the 80s and they're like well i took out my car phone uh, my my um cell phone no schnookums no let me explain car phones to you or satellite <laughs> phones when those did come out what they look like i put it in my pocket the hell you did like <laughs> carrying it in a suitcase yeah exactly you know um and and even though there may have been desktop computers in the 1990s. Um, they didn't have what we think of now as graphics. Oh yeah. My first three computers were just a screen with green lettering that I could type in. <laughs> and then I would download that onto a disc because the computer didn't have enough memory to hold a book. <laughs> Oh yeah, show a floppy disk to a kid these days and have, just go, just out of curiosity, what do you think this is? Blank. No idea. My kids are what, 24 and 26. And I remember the first time they saw a floppy disk because I have them. Mm -hmm. And um, I have the original Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy game. It's a, it's ah. a floppy, like a floppy. Can't play it because it's a floppy. And they were like, what is this? And I'm like, actually. Wow. So, and I didn't explain what it really was. And my daughter looked at me and she's like, I'm calling bullshit, mom. <laughs> These are the same kids that found my Blockbuster card and are like, oh my God, can we keep this? This is like an antique. And I'm like, you don't understand the definition of the word antique, but yes, you can have it. Oh my goodness. It's, it's, it's vintage, that. mom. Yeah. that at one time blockbuster was 
a major business. And uh, I can remember there being a record store in my town that was three stories high. Uh, uh, records no longer exist, I guess. I don't know. We've moved away from things to uh, electrons. And uh, my- Yeah, no, you don't, um, like somebody was selling CDs at the con I was at and I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> and, and, and what can you play them in? I yeah, was a little annoyed. <laughs> I was a little irritated when I bought this laptop, which is the first one I've bought that does not have a disk drive. I guess none of them have disk drives yeah. now. So I can't upload the music that I already own <laughs> to force yeah. it onto my onto my iTunes. I have to I have to download from them. It's annoying. Right. Oh no, I, I'm a thousand percent with you. I actually do not think I have a device that plays CDs in my house. I still have CDs, but I don't think I have a single device in my house that plays CDs. So, wow, yes. that's, that's a whole interesting. Okay, Bo, final question. Final All right, I'm question. gonna switch gears a little bit. Oh um, my goodness. What is your favorite? What, you hmm? Yeah, we're gonna go back to talking about writing. <laughs> what is your favorite uh, thriller and or mystery trope? Oh, wow. Um, I guess for mysteries, because I'm a, a private eye guy, it is the requirement that at some point the guy has to get hit over the head and knocked out. Because out here in the real world, you know, if if you get that's a concussion. Yeah. You get knocked out two or three times. After a while, you start to lose <laughs> your cognitive ability. You're not you anymore. Yeah. And and people in, in books that I didn't write stay unconscious for a long, long time. And that's, that's a concern. I mean, I watch boxing. I know how long people stay out when they get knocked out, okay? It's a minute or two. It's not an hour. If you're unconscious for an hour because somebody hit you, you got serious issues. Mysteries. For the thrillers, I think it's this general concept that uh, you can you can create threats that will destroy the world it's the the scale of the of the threat mm -hmm. and uh, uh you know it keeps getting bigger and bigger and and there just aren't that many ways to destroy the entire world and and if, if i can be allowed a second one it's the yeah. whole idea of huge broad uh uh Wow, I lost the word. Conspiracies. The idea that that there could be a conspiracy in the federal government to to do anything, really. You know, I I I worked in the Pentagon for several years, and I can tell you the guys in the E-ring on the fifth floor have no idea what the guys on the third floor in the B ring are doing. Conspiracy requires coordination. And I can tell you, there aren't 15 people in the entire federal government who all know what each other is doing. So 
that's that's the trope that really really bothered me okay <laughs> good question though nobody's ever asked me that that's what we do here on drinking with authors <laughs> we try to not ask the boring questions we ask the ones we actually care about <laughs> well my dog finds that one particular carrot toy in the background okay he likes to hit his nose against them to make them squeak so he, he might do that in a minute. He brings the up. That's what he's doing. He's like, let me make that one's not squeaking. Let me grab another one that's squeaking. So is my life. Okay. So Austin, how do people find you in your books? Well, the, the easiest way would be to go to my uh, website, www.ascamacho.com. That's not hard. Um, and of course you can find me on Facebook and Twitter, at least for now, uh, or you can go in Barnes and Noble. You can you can go on Amazon if you really want to, and <laughs> search my name, and they'll all they'll all come up. Or you can email me at ascamacho.com. <laughs> I love it, and I will send you all manner of of stuff you don't want because I want people to find my book. Well, um, I think that you may be sending things that people absolutely want. Yay. So, Austin, it has been thrilling to have you on this podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Erica, thank you so much for inviting me. This was fun. And you guys really do do things a little different and in, a, <laughs> in kind of an enjoyable way. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad to hear. Kind of enjoyable. We should put that as a tagline. <laughs> and we should be like, Sign up to watch us. We're kind of enjoyable. That's that's the blurb. Come on. <laughs> hey, you know what? Keywords, keywords. Drink. Kind of enjoyable. Talk to authors. And we're kind of enjoyable. <laughs> no, this this was a lot of fun and uh, uh, intriguing in a way because, like I said, you did ask some questions that not everybody asks. And um, from now on, whenever I do an interview for a podcast, I'm going to insist that we be drinking. This is fact. Yes. Woo! Champion the cause. Pay it forward. I love it. This has been awesome. Thank you so much, Austin. This has been Drinking with Authors, guys. I've been your host, Erica Lance. My amazing co-host today has been Bo Lake. Do not forget to like, subscribe, and leave us a review. Now that you've been drinking along with us, we do want to know what you think in drunken terms. And we will see you guys next time. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network. Your station for all things geek.